So today I'm here with the founder and CEO of Amikole, Jada Njaye. Thank you so much for being with us today. I'm so excited for this conversation. I am beyond excited. <laughs> Thank you for having me and being patient with my schedule. I'm just really happy to be here. I think I might have mentioned this to you once via DMs on Instagram, but when I was incorporating my creator business, because you have to incorporate, you have to have an LLC. Around that time, I was actually researching the story of Ami Kole. And I remember reading that you named the brand after your mom. And that's what I actually ended up doing because I was like, wait, that's so beautiful. She is my North Star in a way. And her name literally means North Star in Mongolian. So I was like, this is cool. I'm going to name it this Latin name of a certain star. And so thank you for the inspiration. I love that. You know, it's so crazy. And like, I'm a brand spanking new mom. <laughs> My son is 11 months old and you have a whole new appreciation of your mother. That first feeling of nurturing, of comfort, of understanding yourself, understanding beauty, you know, so it was just really important for me to do that. I always like connect with people that do the same for their businesses. So it's really special. Tell us about growing up around your mom's hair salon in Harlem, New York. Oh boy, where do I go? Whenever someone asks me that question, I literally can smell, I can hear, I can see everything. So this is the early 90s, late 80s in Harlem, super vibrant, a ton of maybe way too many like little pubs and shops and things like that. Blasting music, you know, the age of Mary J. Blige, Bad Boy, you know, the Apollo Theater. Culture was all over, you know, whether it was TV, magazines, the radio, oh my God. And then beauty, you know, at this time, my mother was an African hair braider. She's well, now she's retired, so we can say she was. <laughs> she was a braider. She bought a lot of what she learned in Senegal as a hobby, actually, not even as a, as a métier, and brought it over to the heart of Harlem on 125th Street. And I was in that shop for as long as I can remember. I literally have pictures of my mother on her back, her braiding hair, or me like running around learning how to walk in the salon. A lot of what I know is from this place, almost kind of naively, right? I knew women that, you know, had money and came in there every, you know, two to four times a month, you know, or sometimes monthly would get their hair done, rebraided, taped down. And I think what was so special beyond just the performance of like getting your hair done, all the things that were shared at the salon, it's a very intimate space. And I heard a lot of things probably that I didn't even need to hear at that age, but <laughs> a lot of women coming with all of their baggage, all of their greatness and everything. And I just loved it. I loved it. I, I look forward to going there after school and like having new aunties and new friends. But yeah, it was just a kinetic time in my life. And I didn't really appreciate it until I left. And I was trying to find that community again. And I, I kind of since been longing. It was a beautiful time to be right there near my mom watching her create a livelihood for her family, not only in New York City, but back home, being able to provide and, and make her family proud as well. So I have great memories growing up in the shop. Do you think it's fair to say the fact that your Senegalese heritage has inspired so much of Amikole and because you are building this beautiful community, vibrant community through the brand that in a way you are recreating a modern day version of your mom's salon? Oh my God, totally, totally. I think the only difference is that space, physical space. But yes, I, I still find myself even now going to the salon just to ask questions about beauty and like seeding and gifting 
random strangers that come in there and get their hair braided because that period of safe space and, you know, being able to recreate that in a digital platform in different realms has been the pinnacle and kind of the DNA of the brand. And I think that's what makes it so special because the salon, like you look to your left and your right, people are getting their hair done too. And you're talking to them and chit chatting and exchanging numbers. And we kind of do that on the social front too. Like our uh, customers become our ambassadors and they're like advocating for us and all of that. So Yes, I feel like I'm definitely creating one. And I almost, I didn't do it on purpose, which is weird. It's, <laughs> it's, it's great because it's truly like who I am, but you really do become your parents. <laughs> you become your mom. <laughs> and yes, being able to create you know, a business and, and give people opportunities to have a livelihood through beauty. And I feel like that intention really comes across. And I think that's what drew me to learning more about Amicoli and talking about it in my videos. And I think that's probably what draws so many people because they can feel that sort of heartbeat of the brand, right? And that it's rooted in something so intimate and personal and beautiful. To that point about building this vibrant community, how do you want your customers to feel when they engage with the brand, when they buy a product, when they use a product? Ooh, I I want them to feel giddy. I want them to feel like, oh my God, like finally. It's like, I feel like my entire career and even with products, because I'm a product junkie as well. <laughs> we can talk about that later. It's just been a Goldilocks experience, right? You finally get the shade and like packaging doesn't get you excited or like you're not even excited to use it anymore. Or you go online and you know, you're just like, oh God, I wish this checkout experience was better. Or just like no type of experience beyond just the product or the gunk in the actual tube or, or whatever. So I want them to feel truly seen, you know, being able to use everything from semantics and copy and visuals to truly represent this person and be like a huge aha moment. Like, oh yeah, this person gets it because this is somebody I would brunch with. This is somebody or something or one nuance or one reference that I culturally experience as well. So I really do want to be that safe space and kind of that, that like, I call it the blue jeans experience. Like you're the blue jeans of makeup. Like you're just easygoing and like not fussy and just really excited to use. I always think about that when I create for the customer. There's also a lot of joy that I feel emanating from the brand, you know, a lot of celebration and joy. Thank you. And, and if anyone listening has been to Senegal, like that is the vibe. Like even when you're not mm. having a party or not trying to have hundreds of people at your house, that's just what it is. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I grew up in Harlem and my parents were one of the parents, like we were the house, you know, we had the dinner and all that <laughs> stuff. So also looking at beauty, I'm like, why so serious? Like, <laughs> why are these models so fierce? And like everything had to be like sharp and runway ready and a lot of the makeup trends, of course, are coming from Backstage Fashion Week, but what about the other end where we just want to have fun? So I, I really pride myself in trying to make Amicole as joyful as possible, vibrant oranges, very bright prints on the inside, very easygoing formulas. But yeah, again, really kind of my heritage coming through again. <laughs> Do you go back to Senegal often? Yes, my husband actually lives in Senegal. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, my gosh. That is very long distance. A long distance relationship. I don't know how I got here either, but... <laughs> I do go there often. My parents are now retired and they live in Sali, which is in Senegal. And whenever I go back there, it's just like instant recharge and like almost kind of overwhelming at times because you feel so at home and you're kind of like, why do I live in the United States? <laughs> but yes, I go there often and I'm, my eyes are just always wide open, just looking at everything between, you know, the prints, the way of life, how fast it is, how slow it gets, the beach culture, how easygoing. And then more importantly, 
just like the sense of something that we call teranga. So when you come to Senegal, everyone opens their door and you're just welcome. And it's kind of strange. It's the opposite of the stranger danger that, you know, that we're taught here in America. But like you go there and like everyone's your cousin, everyone's your auntie. And like you're welcome. Even if you go to a salon there and it's time for lunch, like you break for lunch and everyone's like, come over and eat with us, you know, and it's just so nice. But yeah, I go back, I go back often. <laughs> How do you feel like growing up between these two different cultures has affected you as an entrepreneur? And I say that as somebody who was born in Mongolia and then grew up in Sacramento and then moved back and forth quite a bit. You know, I'm a mix of both. And I think I'm still unraveling how that has affected me in my career and my ambitions and giving me a healthy chip on my shoulder. So how do you feel like that has affected you as an entrepreneur? Yeah, it's so interesting because I just thought it was a curse for so long, right? And my parents were just so kind of extreme a little bit. Like they were not even trying to assimilate to culture, right? They were like, you are not American. They force fed a lot of like what was back home and trying so hard to instill this culture in me, the respect, the deference, just the way of life. And again, like my family is from Senegal. Yes, but we're also Muslim. A lot of things that did not really exist outside of my apartment 3C. I just didn't know what to do with that. And growing up was really difficult. And I didn't really appreciate it until I got to college, I'd say, because then I realized that it's kind of like a superpower, right? Like I'm able to speak these different languages. I'm able to kind of plug and play and be able to go to this room and dance in that room and go to college, wear my leggings and then turn around and wear this grandiose grand boo and all the jewelries and all the things. So I really appreciated it later on in life. And I took it as a, a beautiful thing versus a curse. But growing up, you know, you're the only one, you know, it's not as glamorous to be different or other. Even more difficultly, I, I was in Harlem where everyone was black, right? For the majority, if you weren't black, possibly Hispanic. So I couldn't even relate to my, you know, black American friends because they're like, why? Why do you smell like that? What were you eating at home? Or all these things. I'm like, oh my God, my mom, I'm, I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> and now my friends are like, oh my God, could you cook this thing for me? Could you cook yasa for me? Like, let's have a dinner and like Jada, you're cooking, you know? So it was very difficult growing up. I was wearing a lot of different hats trying to figure out where I fit in. And honestly, I think after college, you know, getting into my career, and especially creating Amikale, I'm just like, this is my world. <laughs> I'm just synergizing all these things. And I'm comfortable right here. So I'm grateful now for those two worlds, but it was hard growing up. I can relate to that. Yeah. Now I also see mine as a superpower where I'm like, I'm a chameleon. I can blend in anywhere and I can get along with anyone. You know, I can, I can really relate to anyone because I, have seen different perspectives. So I, I feel like that can be such a gift. So you had the idea for Amicole in 2014, and then you <laughs> launched the brand in 2021. So what was that journey happening in between? And when did you know and how did you know it was time to start working on it? Oh my goodness. Yes. I feel like and felt like I drank like a gallon of coffee and I was just like jumping out my seat ready to do this. And I like, my goal honestly was to champion this at the brands that I worked at. I'm like, oh, there's no way I could possibly do this. I don't have the money. I don't have the resources. I can't do this. So let me do this other places. So, you know, I would go to these places and I'm like, oh my God, did you know about this and all these things and all these, these ideas running rampant in my mind. And they were just like, you need to Mom, this is the assignment at hand. Right now is not the time, right? So 2014, pre-Rihanna, Fenty Effect, and all of these new 
I guess, appreciations for diverse beauty and depth in, in shade offerings, but I could never find my shade. You know, I just turned to skincare because it was the easiest thing. I wouldn't be embarrassed being turned away from a store or representative, you know, at the store. Um, I didn't have to, you know, watch them go to the bottom of the shelf to try to get my shade and dust it off and all these things. So I turned to skincare for a very long time to kind of help fill that void for me. And that void being, again, a brand that was not only obviously products I could use, but fun and like sexy and vibrant and like just had some movement and joy around it. And I just was just like, blah. <laughs> so between 2014, which is actually so funny because it's like the first time that I actually created the logo, I like wired this random guy in Italy some money. I shouldn't have done that now. I found him on the internet. I'm like, wired him some money. I'm like, how do I know you're going to do this? He's like, well, I don't, you don't know, but <laughs> you know, I'm going to give you your work. I'm like, okay, fine. I would send him the stuff and we would go back and forth. I'd have the logo and I would just stuck. I'm like, okay, well now what? And I'd go back to him like a year later, like, hi, I have iterations on the logo. Then he's like, who are you? Like, I don't even remember you. So throughout those years, I, I would eventually like kind of build these small things, whether it's like a mood board, a deck, or like a, a video treatment. And like all through these years, it would kind of become Amico Lay. As you can imagine, any dreamers like listening, it's just like it wakes you up out of the sweat in your sleep and it's kind of just uncomfortable and you're like kind of mad going into work sometimes and just not feeling heard or seen. And whatever you are trying to champion, I realize at least it kind of wasn't welcome. So I just felt really down. And it wasn't until, you know, I worked at Glossier and kind of on the heels of that, I'm like, okay, well, what now? I mean, I worked at this, these places. I'm like, let me just try it out. Let's just see what happens if I put it out there. Again, in my culture too, they're like, keep your secrets close to you and your dreams close to you. They won't come to fruition and all these superstitions. So I, I would have that habit. But then one day I'm like, you know what? Let me see what happens if I don't listen to my parents and I put this out there. <laughs> and luckily the universe accepted, you know, and I was like prepared. I was ready. I was energized. I was naive. <laughs> All these things in 2019, 2020, 2021 was really the birth of the, of the brand. But it's been a long time, you know, and people always say like, oh my God, you launched last year and you're launching in Sephora a year later. Everything's happening so quick for you. I'm like, this is when I hate the internet because it's not an overnight success. All the tearful nights are not recorded. All the ugly, snotty cries when I've heard no from investors or just felt so back against the wall. I, I didn't, I wasn't able to record that or people don't want to hear that. Maybe they do. So I think sometimes it's a disservice, but it was a very long road here. Yeah. There is this weird dynamic where the internet and the world of entrepreneurship in Silicon Valley try to make things look like an overnight success all up and to the right all the time, like you're crushing it, but it does such a disservice to actual real life founders who normally don't experience that. And then you feel isolated, like you're doing it wrong or like you're taking too long. Yes. And so- I think it's beautiful to hear that you've been incubating this idea since 2014 and kind of letting it gestate in a way. Do you ever wish that you started it sooner or are you glad things happened on the timeline that they did? Oh my goodness. I'm so glad I did because honestly, if I started it sooner, I don't think Amicole would be where it is right now. And I say that because I think 2014, again, there were sprinkles of brands that had inclusive shades. Um, but the branding exclusive to us, again, was pretty like 
I can count my fingers and that means like one hand. And then on the other hand, there were these big corporate market value and market opportunity, like reports that were not able to substantiate what I knew that was true in Harlem. And I'm like, I've known these women for like 20 years and they come here every month (laughs) to get their hair braided north of $80, you know, and they're spending time and willing to commit. I know these women exist and that's just Harlem, not even globally. There were no reports. There was no Nelson report to show that this was true in the worlds of those big box, you know, brands. When I was in those boardrooms and reading the reports, they would be like, oh, well, we have the shades, but quote unquote, they don't buy. You know, we've tried everything. It doesn't exist. And it really, unfortunately, wasn't until after Rihanna, <laughs> the rock star Rihanna, to add her like marketing power and stardom and fandom in the right products at the right time. People were like, hello, sold out. Hello, $100 million in week one. And then people were like, cha-ching, wait a minute now. <laughs> so I just fear that before then, even my partners, contract manufacturers, they weren't even willing to like give you shades deep enough for you to try on your skin. So I'm like, oh, there's no hope. So 2019, I think felt right. And I think that also helped fuel the growth, but I don't regret it. I I am happy that I took the stairs. I'm happy that I had these triumphs and the letbacks and letdowns. And that's why I'm able to stand a little taller right now and kind of shake off imposter syndrome because I know that I work really hard to be here. I am curious about the effect that the success of Fenty Beauty has had on how particularly investors and sort of like the business people Mm -hmm. think about this category, this opportunity, this demographic, because I can see it actually being a double-edged sword where on the one hand, they're like, oh, this is lucrative. Oh, they do buy, quote unquote. And on the other hand, I can see, you know, you're prototypical Silicon Valley investor who doesn't really expose themselves to anything outside of their own bubble being like, well, if Fenty exists, then why do we need another one? How are you going to compete? Because they think it's such a small niche market because they don't realize what has been your experience of the Fenty effect and the nuances of it. Yeah. I mean, personally, I was kind of frustrated. (laughs) So I remember like being in a big box setting, you know, corporate setting and like papers flying like Rihanna's out here (laughs) taking market share. Oh my God. And I'm like, holy crap. Like I've been saying this all my life and here we are. I'm so glad that this is now able to put your money where your mouth is, quote unquote, but geez, this has been a long road. Why? You know? And then the fundraising part just crushed me. Like I have never heard no so much in my life, you know, because exactly that I heard, well, what happens if Rihanna creates a clean beauty brand? Like, where do you stand? Or, you know, why you, you're not an influencer, you know, you kind of are random. Do people really care about your mom's shop? All questions that I've literally heard. So I just having to constantly be on the defense, something that I'm supposed to be so happy and prideful about. And here I am explaining like why we needed more than one example or more than one product. So it was hyper frustrating, especially because it was so personal, right? I'm like, I can read between the lines a little bit here and me having to defend my community and why we were valuable and why we, how we show up for each other. Definitely a double-edged sword. People were not ready to invest easily. Obviously, I, I invested pretty early on. So they were just like, no, we'll wait a little bit or We'll see how this other brand that's kind of close to you, not Fenty, will do, and then we'll come back to you to see if it's actually viable. 
And a lot changed post George Floyd, you know, let's be very frank, you know, all the people that were saying no to me in 2019 came back 2020 and said like, oh my God, the same email thread. I remember talking to you a year ago. I'm like, I can see what this is and I can read between the lines. But again, let me think beyond myself right now and understand like what I need to do to get this brand alive because the people that deserve this deserve it. So let me just do what I got to do <laughs> to get the <laughs> financing. That too comes with a double-edged sword because now that we're out of that cloud that they call, you know, Black Lives Matter and like the, the Black Squares, we're really seeing who really believed in it and who really see this as an opportunity for a more diverse and rich beauty industry. <laughs> like, So yeah, it's tough still. I believe that. Having seen what you saw in 2020 with the way that your fundraising experience changed, and then now kind of seeing where investors are at with how they're thinking about investing decisions, do you feel that a lot of that activity and sort of like commotion in 2020 was more performative than genuine? Or how how do you think about that? Absolutely. And we being like, again, the community, because we've all seen this before. It's the same song and dance just happens to be different, like parts of life. For instance, in that very moment when Rihanna launched, I'm like, duh. (laughs) And then again, I'm like, well, oh, wait a minute. We need to fund black brands. I'm like, it was a very interesting time because it was so dark and so sad and heavy. But that was when we came together, like all different corners of the world beyond this black square. What are we going to do? It's a systematic issue. And even if you were doing this with an unconscious bias, now is the time to regulate. Let's all kind of put feelings aside. Yes, there's anger. Yes, there's frustration. But now is the time to reset the button so that we can have an equitable a rich, again, there's money to be made. Industry, like, hello, let's all get on the same page. So there were some brands that did that, brands that were signing up for things like the 15% pledge and signing up to promise that they would create at least equitable space, shelf space, and all these things. But then again, it's a system, right? It's not just being there. How do you thrive in these spaces? How are you actually giving the tools for you know, a cohort of people that traditionally didn't have a head start. Like, how do you bridge that gap of opportunity? You know, and I think we're still in that right now, but there are some brands that are like rolling up their sleeves, like, let's go. Like, what do we do? I recognize my privilege as a system, as a retailer, etc. What do we need to do to make sure you're good? And there's other brands that are like, hmm, we're good. Like we tried it for a year. It didn't work out. We don't have 10 X on our like, you know, investment or attraction towards that. So like, we're good, which is just as disheartening, right? You finally break through and then you get right back to the beginning. And I think this journey as an entrepreneur has taught me so much. And let's be real when the climate's a little shaky, it's getting a little scary. People go right back to what they know. You know, they want to de-risk their portfolio or how they invest their dollar. And what that means is black, Latino, you know, you know, non-Hispanic people are now right back when we started. And those investments are starting to retract a little bit. Diligence is feeling three times harder than it was in a way that's still not equitable because I have friends that are my right friends, you know, that are fundraising, totally fine, you know, expanding, even when there's no proof of growth. But then again, you have to come and give that superhero performance to be able to make sure your company thrives. And that must be extra frustrating because if they were just to understand the scope of the market opportunity, even from a business perspective, they would understand that there's room for more than one brand, that this is an opportunity. And so you must be like, wait, help me help you. Literally, I'm trying to give you this opportunity. 
I know. And some investors are that way. They're like, well, tell me more. What is the behavior? What is this? What is that? From what I know, this is what I hear, but is it because this wasn't available or is it because the marketing wasn't right? So there are some people that want to work with you and there are others who's like, I'm sorry, this is not big enough for us. You weren't viral on TikTok last year, so we don't believe in the brand. And it's disheartening beyond just being an entrepreneur, of course, is my brand, but what are the other brands that are just starting out doing? Like, again, timing for me wasn't everything, right? So what about the other vibrant brands that are supposed to, quote unquote, come to life right now and they're not even able to like break through a little bit? It's disheartening. And unfortunately, I hate to say this, but I'm kind of used to it. I've had to fight for a lot coming out of Harlem, moving my way up. So it's unfortunate. I'm still waiting for that big break to have just a soft life. (laughs) But right now I understand that it's kind of a great season for me, unfortunately. What helps you manage the emotional roller coaster, frankly, of things like fundraising, of being a founder? That's a very hard question because I'm doing a lot of work to make sure I'm good. Like I'm a human being. I had a baby last year. (laughs) I was pregnant, not planned, right after I launched. You know what I mean? So it was a lot to deal with. And I was fairly sick postpartum and still had to like push through. So I'm trying to learn how to take care of myself, you know, whether that's through traditional like Chinese remedies and and medicines, acupuncture or herbal medicines, acupressure, all of these things to make sure my body is good. From the mind perspective, I moved away from New York City. I wanted to get away from the hustle and bustle, not too far away, but just be able to kind of slow things down so that when I do close my laptop and I am with my family, I'm able to exhale. I'm able to be present. My friends really fill my cup. And honestly, again, as cliche as the sound, it's really the community. Like they see everything. They see when the baby's on my back and I'm over here like tapping away. They see, you know, me bringing the baby to a Sephora meeting or me like running and jet setting and all these things. And they're like, girl, I know it's hard. I know it's hard, but we're so proud of you. And like, keep going. And like, what do you need? Can we send you like a smoothie? I'm like, girl, that's amazing. And the little sparks continue to kind of fuel me. And it's always good to be so connected to the customer because they, of course, give you feedback, but also give you energy. And it's kind of like, yeah, I don't have a salon physically, but vehicles like Instagram, being able to DM you, being able to DM my friends and friends of the brand I've never met before. That fuels me. And honestly, just my family. Like my parents are beyond proud. Being a general, sorry, an immigrant. My dad, you know, talk about failure and coming back. Like he first moved to France and failed horribly. Like, okay, I need to go back to Senegal and figure it out. Went to Senegal, then came back to the United States in 85. So he's been through it all. Like he's tried different business models. For him to sit where he is right now, just to see his daughter trying her best, seeing like little fruits of the labor, you know, whether that's a larger team, more investment, my free can face on a billboard. My dad's like, holy crap, that is my daughter. (laughs) And hearing his voice, oh my God, it makes me so happy. My mom has finally like stopped having her little heart attacks about me not being at, you know, the big box brands or a doctor and seeing, you know, a little smirk of proudness on her face. Like that really fuels me and really keeps me going when it gets really hard. That's so beautiful. And I can see how fueling and motivating it would be to just have your family, right? Your parents who are immigrants just see everything that you're accomplishing and also have your community be so proud of you and excited for you. But does that ever also feel like pressure? Like, whoa, like I'm doing this for me, but also all these other people are depending on me. Oh my God. So much pressure. Like the stakes are high. And that's why I'm just like, I often feel like everyone has their sport, right? Business is a sport. You want to win. 
right? You want to win. You want to have a track record. You want to show this continuous growth and like these muscles strengthening, whether it's communication, product development, supply chain. You want to be a great athlete, right? That's why I always appreciate, you know, documentaries like watching Serena Williams going into that final and like the same jitters you get on the first final is the same thing you're going like I have a lot at stake now. I'm not making my way through the market, but now everyone's kind of like watching, you know, I worked at Glossier and I saw the ups and downs of the excitement and then doubt and then this and then that. So that also is in the back of my mind, like, oh my God, all these things at stake. So super high pressure. I want to make sure that my community is happy and proud and there's a range of conversations happening on Twitter all over the world, even for like what success even means for me. You see like deals like Mayel, when It Cosmetics did that with L'Oreal, it was a big deal. Like Jamie was all over the place, you know, like we made it, like our company made it and we're able to kind of break through and create more opportunities. And then the conversation is a little different because our cultural experience is different, you know? So to me, I'm thinking, what is the North Star? Like my day-to-day is kind of going and going and going like what does that quote-unquote activity look like for me in a way that I can make myself proud I can make my family proud but also I can show up for my community so it's a lot of pressure you're literally in it and you're watching it kind of unravel alive but it's a lot of pressure on top of everything else (laughs) I was reading one of the interviews you've done I think it was something about a day in your life as a founder and I remember you mentioned something about waking up in the morning and thanking God I haven't talked a lot about this, but I I don't meditate a lot, but I like to pray when I can, when I can remember. And it really grounds me and it really helps me. And my spiritual practice is really important to me. And I find that it directly impacts how I show up in my work and my relationships and everything, right? It is my foundation. And so I'd love to hear more about that, actually, if you feel comfortable sharing. I do. I'm just overwhelmed by the question. I've never been asked that question. So I really appreciate that. To me, nothing makes sense. (laughs) To me, life is this major stimulation. Our souls come in through this body, our cast. We try our best to show up the way that we think we should show up. We try our best to be decent human beings. But I, I don't think anything is a coincidence. I feel like we've come in and we're guided through spiritual connections and energy to do what we do. And that's why it's so important in my work right now. When I feel imposter syndrome and when I do go into these spaces that I would never otherwise be quote unquote invited to, I'm like, what am I doing here? This is and I have to stop myself. I'm like, whoa. First of all, who do you think you are? (laughs) You did not choose this life. This was given to you. This is a gift. You are gifted and you have these ideas in your mind. Use them as tools to be a conduit to open doors behind you. And a lot of that is spirituality. A lot of that is helping me say, okay, fine. I had a horrible meeting last night, but like, did I die? (laughs) Are they going to judge me like a judgment day? Like, no. I'm fine. Everything's going to be fine. I'm going to move forward through this. I'm going to move through this no matter how difficult it is. And when my back is against the wall and all the pressures are on me, I have nothing but God above family. You know what I mean? So for me, it's really important to, even in the good times, like pray when you're like high up. You should be praying and hoping that the energy continues to fuel you. How do you make sure that what you're doing is still sacred and still, I don't know, I don't have the words to because it's so overwhelming to me sometimes, but it drives me to tears, you know, sometimes just sitting there thinking about how far I came. Because I mean, like, I'm no better than my friends, you know, growing up in high school and middle school, but I think that some things are just kind of ordained and I'm able to kind of give off this energy and be able to kind of come back to me. And when I close my eyes, I 
feel something and that really fuels me. That gives me the patience with myself, with my work, in my relationship as a wife, as a mother. It gives me the patience to understand that there's a possibility that tomorrow will be greater than today. And I'm just trying to move through that um, no matter how difficult. Thank you for sharing that. I agree with that notion of, you know, even when things are going well, making sure you're saying things, making sure you're praying or whatever kind of spiritual practice connects you to that higher power, because I find that that is the most humble way to show up is, especially when things are going well to say, Hey, I'm still a vessel. I'm still, you know, just doing my duty. The thing that, you know, is land for my life. And I, I even find that that humility and that mindset of, look, I'm just here to do my duty. Like if this is the plan for me, I will do it. I find that that helps me show up with so much more courage than I normally would. And I find that I get this question a lot from my friends because I'm always taking all these risks and and they're like, how are you so brave? How are you not afraid? And I'm like, it feels bigger than me. It feels like if I have this inspiration to do something, this guidance to do something, it just feels like I have to do it. And to not do it, it's to lack humility and, and recognizing that that's what I'm here for. Oh my God, you nailed it. You nailed it. It's kind of like, and it might have even came to my dad, this message, but it's like, if you don't do what's in you, you're kind of humiliating and disrespecting that higher power. You know, like, yeah. how dare you have these? Like, could you imagine if Whitney Houston didn't sing? Because she was <laughs> too shy. Like, how dare you? Like, you need to sing. Yeah, this <laughs> is not about you. <laughs> you are the vehicle, honey. Like, I mean, hello, Beyonce. Hello. I'm sure she's just like, damn, I got to show up to work. Here I go again, being great. You know, (laughs) I know that she knows that. I don't don't know for sure. I'm not friends with Beyonce, but I'm sure she feels like I have a higher duty, a higher calling. And when you lean in and you let that be, great things do happen. (laughs) Like, there's no like surprise about it. Like when you let go and let God, like great things do happen. And I, to your point, to my friends, I was like, I left class. I'm like, I want to start a brand. They're like, Oh, that's so cute. You're gonna start a brand. I'm like, it's gonna be big. They're like, Uh huh. Yes, sweetie, tell us more. And then they're like looking at me like, Jada, like you were serious. And like, I cannot yeah. believe it. We're so proud of you. But like, how? I'm like, girl, God was my safety net. Cause there were times I didn't know how I was going to pay rent. I was like consulting on the side just to pay the bills and all this stuff. Like, I couldn't go back home to my parents because I moved out. I made a big fuss about moving out. I couldn't move back home. So I, I had to figure it out. And, and along the way, even when my palms were sweating and my heart was racing, I knew that girl, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Just listen, try to be present, pray, manifest, you know, try to get that energy out, write it down. My mind blows away when I look at my notes, my notebooks from like 2014 to now. I'm like, this is scary. I literally mapped out. I'm like, okay, this is going to probably happen this time. This is going to happen. I don't know who I'm recording this for, but I recorded everything on my phone. And I just remember like, I'm breaking down. This is never going to happen. And I kept myself at the end and I'm really proud of myself. I'm like, you know what? It's going to be okay. It's snow today. I know God got me. I'm going to try again tomorrow. I'm going to email this friend and Hey, I have this friend here. I'm talking literally to my phone. But when I look back at it, I'm like, damn girl, like you really did that. And you really believed, and you continue to believe again. I'm just kind of scratching the surface. We're a baby brand, you know? So what is the possibility? Like, what is the global distribution look like? What is being able to kind of scale these one-to-one relationships and create this intangible salon? Like, what does that look like? Um, And it's even harder when you don't have really an example. So like, you're just going out there. (laughs) 
on a whim. <laughs> so you need all of the guidance, all of the support, especially spiritual for me, at least. There's not a map. There's not a blueprint. You just have to follow that guidance. You have to trust yourself. You have to kind of surrender. And also I really resonate with something you said earlier, which is it looks like in the last two years, you guys have achieved so much, but really it's been years in the making. You've been laying down the foundations for this for a long, long time. And it's not an overnight success. And I also feel like this past year, my TikTok has gained traction and I've gotten all these opportunities and all these doors that would not open for me before have flown open. And it's amazing, but it's not about those external things for me. I feel so proud that I just kept going and I kept being a little bit delusional and really following that guidance until it finally started to take. And that is the thing that I wish I could tell my younger self is it's okay. Just trust that guidance and keep showing up and don't worry about what your peers are doing and what kind of jobs they have and what people are saying you should do. Tune all of it out. This is between you and God. Just keep going and magic will happen. Oh my God. Yes, yes, yes. I'm like snapping my fingers over here. But I think the other part of that too is like, funny enough, my entire career was like behind the scenes, working with influencers, the reporting and the marketing strategies. I never was like in front of the camera. So I found myself also like trying to shrink myself. And I'm now trying to work through that with some tools, but I'm like, I try to shrink my voice. I'm like, oh no, no, I didn't do anything. Oh no, no, no. It's no big deal. I'm like, girl, no. Hello. Again, like respect the process, respect the gift. You can do so humbly. You can say, hey, I hear you. I receive what you're saying and I really appreciate it. I'm happy that you see me and I see you versus like, oh no, girl, no, 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 no. Like, you know, trying to deflect, you know, compliments or positive love. Instead, I try to take that all in and pour back into my pot and feel that from my energy versus, you know, trying to shrink myself or be small because life changes. You have different friends, you have different people in your orbit. You're talking to different people that you never thought you would talk to before and you're like, why am I in a room with Tracy Ellis Ross, guys? Like, what's going on? Am I talking to Tracy? (laughs) So I'm like, you know what? Yes, I deserve to talk to Tracy. We we are both business owners. We have a lot to talk about. We can connect on a lot of things. I can learn from her. She can learn from me. So I'm also trying to train myself for that as well. Like not feeling that I don't belong in these rooms or places. Where do you think that feeling of wanting to shrink, wanting to play small comes from? Because I think that so many people resonate with that. Everybody has a slightly different story of how that came to be. But for you, where do you think that comes from and what's been working for you as far as sort of starting to break down those barriers and really take up space? Ooh, yeah. Honestly, I think 50% comes from my mom. She is like humble beyond belief. She'll joke around and like flaunt her beauty or like her new clothes or something like that in front of us. But in front of people, she's just very culturally quiet, reserved. Mm-hmm. A successful woman in Senegal, or at least traditionally, is the quietest, you know, the most pious. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of that in me being like a wild child, like, ah, I want to travel the world. She's like, oh my God, be quiet. <laughs> do smaller things. And I think 50% of it comes from that attributed to my mother and culturally how we've been raised to think what womanhood looks like and how dainty, etc. And I think the other half is it's kind of like, you know, when like you're in a room and you're talking to someone and suddenly like everyone's silent and your voice is like ah, standing out and you're like, oh. and I feel like it's that moment for me. Like, you know, when you're suddenly the intern, right? The CEO is asking you for your idea in a boardroom. You're like, I should not be saying this, but like also you need this idea. So it's kind of like that moment where suddenly like the CEOs of the world, you know, are suddenly listening to me and I'm like, who am I? Like, oh my God. But then even going back to your TikTok, all the 
content that you're saying, these are your experiences. This is your point of view that have accumulated over years. Of course, you deserve to say something. So I am telling myself, like, baby, like you took the stairs. You went through this. You experienced this from a consumer perspective, from working retail, from being in, in the boardroom to being at a startup. Baby girl, you are, you are it, you know? You're the best person for this job. I have to tell myself that the same way I tell my team. I'm like, baby, speak up. You know more than I. Teach me. And then I'm able to kind of pull that out of them. So I think it's 50% cultural and 50% kind of my journey to where I am, where for so long I've been silenced and finally I have a voice. I want to talk about what you have learned as a leader. Now that you have your own company, you're building your own team, you're creating the culture within that organization. What have you learned about yourself as a leader? How have you grown as a leader? Yes. Um, what have I learned? I think I've learned that I'm a good listener. I'm able to receive feedback. You know what I mean? And I'm able to listen to ideas. I'm a good editor and I've learned by doing so, a lot of those ideas, like they win, they resonate. It just connects impossibly because I also know the brand very deeply. So I know what's going to be that, that moment. I've never been a confrontational person. So it was very difficult for me to fire people, to provide feedback, to create those feedback loops. It's kind of Going back to the core, going back to the DNA. What are we doing? What are we trying to achieve? Who are the right people to achieve that? Feelings aside, I want to be your friend. I want to I want to make sure if you leave this position that you're set up for success. But for right now, this is what the company needs. You know, we need someone that's agile. We need someone that is a thought leader. We need someone that can be a self-starter because we're all wearing multiple hats. So things like that's not my job or I deserve to be paid $300,000. Like, baby, that's not it's not the job for you. You know what I mean? And not right now. <laughs> so for me, I think, you know, being able to listen, being able to edit and also understanding what it means to be a true leader with the company's best health or best future, you know, top of mind always. Not like, oh, but he's a really good person. I love his puppy. So I've learned that. It's been very difficult, especially startup land. They don't tell you like how much of your time, you know, goes into people and developing the culture, etc. You know, I'm a solo founder. You know, we're a team now of seven, including myself. And you think that, I mean, naively, when you're starting a company, like, oh my God, I'm going to spend all my time doing product development. I'm going to be in the stores and traveling to Italy and all that stuff. I'm like, girl, that's like 0.5% of your job now. Especially now that we've hired someone for that specifically, like that's not your job. So I am like the umbrella and taking in all of the different kind of pulses and vessels of company and, and trying to move it all forward. It's a very difficult thing. So we'll ask one more question and I'm realizing we're at like 3.09 Pacific time because I could just talk to you forever. But one final question I want to wrap up with. You guys recently got into Sephora. You used to personally work at Sephora. What has it meant to you? What has it been like seeing your products on the shelves of the biggest prestige beauty retailer in the world? You know, honestly, I'm still trying to figure that out. We launched December 30th. We're a month out, a little less than a month out. And I swear to God, I still can't believe, like I still want to cry thinking about it because Sephora growing up, it's been such a long legacy for us, right? My sister, my older sister worked at Sephora. I didn't know anything about the brand or the company. She would come in with these little sample vials. Try this fragrance. Ah, la, la, la. I'm like, girl, what are you talking about? <laughs> 
And then slowly, you know, as big sisters and older siblings do, they influence you. You know, whenever I would see the stripes, I'd like, we'll have to walk in and just let me just see what's going on in there. <laughs> and then in college, I would actually work at Sephora part time, like in between, you know, classes and having my boyfriend pick me up from Sephora. And everyone knew where to find me and like come get their makeup done before certain parties or events or dates. And I'd just like hook it up at the beauty studio during Christmas breaks, you know, working in the 86th Street location and all of these things. So, to see a brand <laughs> displayed, it's just wild. And I know it's just the beginning, but it definitely is a huge milestone for us because even working with our, our agency, I, I was manifesting and visualizing this. Like I want the box to stand out. I don't want it to be the typical tonal colors or earth tone colors or the typical pink that's happening. I want it to be a vibrant orange. So that way you're at least curious to know what the hell is this? What is it about? Can I read more about it? And I'm able to kind of gift a little spark or at least a little curiosity. And you pick up the, the carton and it's like this very beautiful textured linen stamp and it just feels special. So to finally be able to kind of give that white glove service to this girl that literally was like, you know, sales representative kind of coiling down and getting tiny when they see you crossing the state and like, oh God, don't come over here. I don't have your shade, girl. So finally being able to offer that to, to these women and men and uh, everyone, it's just... Out of this world, it brings me to tears. My parents are beyond proud. We're tracking the numbers like a hawk. <laughs> and we, we even beat our tr projections for month one. And it's because of our community. They showed up. People were literally going to, I kid you not, going to the freaking bay at NCAP and fixing the display for us. Like, oh girl, we went there. It was a little messy, so we got you. <laughs> I'm like, you can't pay for that. You can't pay for like, this massive field team. Literally, I think 20 text messages, you know, to the point where we had to actually bring it up to the support team. Like, oh, I think we can the display. <laughs> Because we're getting DMs, you know, selling out of the lip treatment oil in places that I've never even stepped foot, Texas, Atlanta. I've never even been there before, but we're able to connect via Instagram and to kind of show and tell. So it's a compilation of all these things, whether number one, showing again, like we buy, <laughs> we are loyal, we purchase, you know, my personal affinity for Sephora as a brand and retailer. And then finally having these products, being able to, to show and swipe and swatch and all of that. It's just been such a blessing. So I am so excited about it. I got chills hearing you say that. That's beautiful. <laughs> and for those of you listening who have not yet had a chance to try Amicole, now you do not have an excuse and you can go to your nearest Sephora, try the products, fix the end cap while you're at it, <laughs> make it look nice. <laughs> Jara, this is amazing. This is so nourishing. This was a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for creating what you've created. So it's just thank an honor to have this conversation with you. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. And again, we're, we're in our journey, you know, so I am just like everyone else, you know, watching patiently, like how everything unfolds and how we grow. So I always appreciate it. Continuing to kind of grow this kind of feedback loop within our community as well. And just watching you being so inspirational and, and out there and teaching me as well. I'm like DM you. I'm like, can you tell me more about this e-commerce? <laughs> so I appreciate you. Thank you for seeing us. Um, and we hope to continue to push the needle and be the brand that people feel like home. Amazing. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you.